This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. You know, it's a very special weekend. It's a very special day. And uh, as we begin, I want to draw all of our attention to a couple of things. First of all, I'd like to draw your attention to the American flag. It's not every Sunday that we have it up and flying, not because we're not uh, happy to be in this great country, but, um, you know, we focus on other things on Sunday morning. But uh, in view of the fact that Wednesday is Veterans Day, you know, it's, it's not a coincidence that last Sunday, on this very stage where I'm standing, Michael led us in a prayer for the people who are persecuted around the world for their faith. And in fact... This morning is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And you can't help but compare that to the wonderful freedoms that we have in this country. We are blessed. Not one of you gave any thought this morning to your safety as you came to church other than the wacky people that you share the road with, right? (laughs) Of course. So, uh, and we would be remiss if we thought that those freedoms came cheaply, or we're just kind of automatically ours. Uh, History reveals that many, many, many people... I was watching a special. um, It was sort of like a travelogue on the nation of France. And they panned to the cemetery that had, I think, 3,500 crosses, small stone crosses. And then they panned, and it was not the flag of France but it was old glory that was waving in that cemetery at France. And it just caught me by surprise. Some 3,500 people from the United States of America who are buried on foreign soil who gave their lives so that you and I would not be persecuted this morning when we come to church. That's a pretty cool thing. I want us to pause and reflect on that for just a moment. Then the other thing I want to draw your attention to would be the cross. You know, the people who died so that you and I might have freedoms to do whatever we want to do in this country paid the ultimate sacrifice. But the one who died on the cross did not die so that you and I could do anything we want to do. He died so that you and I could become everything we ought to be. You understand the difference? Huge difference. So let's begin with a prayer of reflection. Father, we are very, very, very grateful for the countless people who have given their lives so that we could wake up this morning in freedom and we could walk out of our houses, jump in our cars, drive to church, and not give a single thought to the fact that we could be persecuted for this. And Lord, one one more time, we lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who don't enjoy such freedoms. And Father, we thank you for the veterans who have placed their life on the line. And for those uh, men and women who are in the armed forces today who have put themselves in harm's way and continue to do so, so that we might walk in freedom. And Lord, we thank you even more that you came and gave your life so that we might not only have freedom in this life, but we might have freedom in eternity. We thank you and bless you. And everything we do this morning, Lord, we do in the context of that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, welcome to church. My name is Ron, and if I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you before you get out of here this morning. I'll hang out in the lobby uh, for a little while afterwards. Uh, We have a goal in this portion of our service. I'm going to be sharing over the next 30 or 35 minutes some teaching from the Bible, which is God's Word. It's not just to make you smarter. It's not just to kind of broaden your scope of of intelligence and grasp of, of life. But the goal of this is that we might all learn and then go home and embrace it into our lives so that we could experience real life change. And all of us who participate in that process get to do that. And I'm so blessed as a pastor to hear you come up and share the stories of how God is changing your lives. Because this is not a church where we just go through the motions. This is a church where we really connect with God and say, God, make a difference in my life. And through me, make a difference in the world in which I live. So I want to invite you into that process. So just before we dive in, if you will open your programs and pull out the notes, some of you are going to be extremely disappointed because the wrong version got printed out. There are no blanks this morning. Isn't that terrible? And those of you who are always looking ahead to guess at what I'm going to put in those blanks, you're terribly disappointed, aren't you? Sure you are. Okay, but we're going to have some fun with this anyway. So here we go. Let's go straight um, to our focus scripture. And while they're putting that up on the screen, let me, let me bring you up to speed. We're in a series of sermons called Good News in Tough Times. And, and all of these sermons are taken directly from the first chapter of a book in the Bible called 1 Peter, written by one of the twelve apostles of Jesus, Peter, whom I'm, I'm sure all of you have at least heard of him. Now, he was writing to people who were undergoing very bitter persecution. They had lots of reasons to be down. But Peter said, I want you to know that God has lots of reasons for you to be up even during a downtime. You think that message might be applicable to our nation today? Yeah, there are lots of people in this room who have reasons to be down. Well, this morning, God has wonderful reasons for you to be up. I mean, really up. And I'll tell you right up front where God's going with this message, where he wants us to go. In this room, there are many people who have already made the decision to become a follower of Christ, to take God up on his offer of salvation. And I want you to know this morning that we're going to look at a passage of scripture that talks about that salvation in a way no other passage of scripture talks about in the entire Bible. Uh, To me, it's one of the most exciting passages in the Bible. But also in the room this morning, we have people who haven't yet made that decision aren't sure that you're going to make that decision, but you're checking God out and you're checking out the message of the Bible and you're checking out the message of salvation. I hope by the time that we leave this morning that those of you who have made that decision in your life will leave here with a fresh and new understanding and appreciation for the wonderful gift that God has put in your life. And for those of you who haven't made that decision yet, I hope and pray that before you leave this morning, you do. I sat by a guy earlier this week. I didn't know him, but we were getting to know each other. And somehow in that conversation, 
He said, you know, I had a really, really, really tough year this year. I lost my entire retirement because, are you ready for a little pun here? Somebody made off with it. Those of you who are really keen understand what that was. Now what he said after that really caught my attention. He he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, I want you to know that if something sounds too good to be true, what's the rest of it? It is. Can I tell you, with the exception of God, that's true. But as we unpack God's wonderful offer of salvation this morning, on the surface, it sounds too good to be true. And from a human standpoint, it is. But when God makes an offer, it blows human beings away. And that's the deal. We're going to get to look at that this morning. So here's our focus scripture. It was concerning this salvation. Now I want you to circle or underline the word salvation. Now you know you've got to get out that pencil anyway, all right? It was concerning this salvation that the prophets made careful search and investigation. And they prophesied about this gift which God would give you. They tried to find out when the time would be and how it would come. This was the time to which Christ's Spirit in them was pointing in predicting the sufferings that Christ would have to endure and the glory that would follow. In that passage, we have four scriptures, four phrases that we're going to focus on that sort of encapsulate that truth. So let's jump in and take a look at the very first one. While that's that's coming up here, I want you to use your imagination, if you would, this morning. Because that passage we just read points to a time that was B.C., before Christ. And here's what I mean. It talks about the angels and it talks about the prophets, but we live so far this side of Christ, it's hard for us to imagine a world without Christ. It's hard for us to imagine a heaven without Christ in, in, in the terms that we know Him. Prior to Jesus coming to earth, there was no Christmas. If you talk to Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of the Old Testament prophets and you said, isn't Christmas a wonderful season? They would look at you like, what's up? There was no Christmas. There was no Christ. There was no cross. There was no church. All of these things were part of God's plan and they were coming. And as a part of God's plan... The, the prophets, you know, God was revealing truths and they were talking about them and, and God was evidently making small announcements into heaven because the angels, the Bible says, desired to look into these things. And in order for you to understand the message this morning, you have to put yourself in a world. You've got to travel back in time to a world where no one had ever heard of Jesus. No one had ever heard of the church. No one had ever heard of the 12 apostles. No one had ever heard of Christianity. No one had ever heard of Christmas. All that stuff, no one had even dreamed of. 
So what is it that Peter says? He starts out by saying it was concerning this salvation. Wow. It was, it, to, to the angels of heaven, the fall of, of people... Remember back in the garden when God said, don't eat from that tree, and Adam and Eve ate from that tree, and God said, you can't imagine the chaos that's going to come into your world because you did that. Because you decided to invite sin into your world, what came with sin? Well, let's take Adam and Eve's first two children, Cain and Abel. What happened to them? Can you imagine? The first sin in the Bible is disobedience to God, and the second sin in the Bible Well, maybe not the second one because Adam and Eve blamed each other and so forth. So maybe there were a few others in there. But but in the very first family, one of the brothers killed another brother. Wow, I mean, the catastrophe started right away. To the angels in heaven, as they looked down on the earth and they saw the fall of God's people and they saw the catastrophes that started coming into the world because of the fall of God's people. It was unthinkable to them. They just couldn't imagine. They've lived all their lives where? In heaven. That stuff doesn't happen up there. But it was happening on the earth. Now God makes an announcement in heaven. I am going to save my people. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the buzz in heaven? God, are you sure? Have you seen? Have you checked out what they're doing down there? Part of your plan is to bring them up here. I'm not so keen on that. Pretty soon, this is going to be like that. Are you sure you can do anything to save that bunch? Because believe me, friends, the day that you and I walk into heaven... When we, when we look in the rearview mirror at earth and we compare heaven with earth, we're going to be blown away at the just humongous difference. Can't you see the angels saying, isn't that kind of risky? And they didn't even know what it would cost God. Was it risky? Yeah. Think about how many people Jesus has died for and they don't even care. For them, he did it all for nothing. Yeah, it was risky. You know, the overwhelming message of the Bible was heaven was curious. Which is why that's the title of the message this morning. Curious. Heaven was curious. The prophets were curious. What's God about to do? How's he going to do this? What all does this mean? In fact, I want you to know, here's a key understanding. The salvation of God's people is the great drama of both heaven and and earth. Can you get that? The salvation of God's people. It's the great drama of the Bible. It is, by the way, the only thing that makes any difference eventually on this earth. It is the great drama. And the fact that you get to come to church and you have the opportunity to participate in the only really great drama in the entire history of the earth, far greater than the Super Bowl, far greater than than any any world championship than than the World Series, far greater than who wins a presidential election, far greater than any world war that we've ever had. The great drama of heaven and earth is about God's people and it's about eternity. 
What a great thing. Yeah. And so this morning, we focus on that. It is the great drama. Now, let's go to the second phrase in this passage. Not only was it concerning this salvation, but the prophets made careful search and investigation. So we've got the angels going, God, are you sure? They're curious. They're looking into it. They're trying to figure out what's God doing? What's He up to? And so forth. But down on earth, God is giving prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Now, some of you are old enough, or you've seen it on retro TV or something, but there was an old game show that that was called Name That Tune, right? You've probably seen an episode of it somewhere, and they'd sit there and wait and hear like two seconds of a song, and they have to figure out what that song is. And that's a lot tougher than it sounds, Well, it's a little bit like that with the prophets. God was giving them, okay, you want to know about my plan? That's it. Okay, I'll write that down. (laughs) Whatever that was. It was just a little tiny bit or a piece or a chunk of God's plan. And prophets are people like you and me. And when God gives a little piece here and a little piece there and a little piece here, what are we trying to do? Is there a way to put those together? And figure it out, and they did. Peter said the prophets made careful search and investigation. Now, of the hundreds of prophecies that God delivered through his prophets, I just selected a couple, and I want you to see how they're just tiny little bits and pieces, but yet they they do reveal very important parts of God's plan. Let's take a look here at, at Isaiah. 45. And we'll go back and read that passage. Let all the world look to me for what? For salvation. This is the salvation they're looking into. For I am God and there's no other. Now there's some things that we could learn from that passage that the prophets got a tiny glimpse into. Let's take a look at those three things that we can learn. First of all, it would be a message of salvation, not condemnation. That's great news that God had a choice. He could either condemn the world. And a few weeks ago, I gave you an illustration of the, of the golf course superintendent who, who could either save that green or he could condemn it and start all over again. And, and God could have done the same with us. But the good news is God decided to save his people. It was a message of salvation, not condemnation. Second thing we could learn is this. The salvation would be found in God and what? Nowhere else. For God said, I am God, nobody else. So you know what that means? If you're looking to a self-help book for salvation, you're not going to find it there. I know that, that counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists have their place, and they certainly help a lot of people, but if you're looking to them for salvation, you're not going to find it there. They might be able to make you feel better. But they can't do anything about your eternal salvation. It only comes from God. The third thing we can learn from this is very significant. The salvation would be available to whom? All nations and all cultures. He said, let the whole world look to me for salvation. It's not just to a particular caste of people. It's not just to a particular culture. But the salvation that God would offer would transcend all cultural boundaries and barriers. Let's go to another passage of Scripture and take a look at what we can learn from it. 
The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach good news about the poor. By the way, early on in Jesus' ministry, he read this very passage of Scripture in a a Jewish synagogue, and he looked at the people in the crowd, and he said, I want you to know that that passage was written about me. So it's pretty easy to know this is a direct prophecy of Jesus. And here it is. He has sent me... Uh, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Bunch of stuff in there, but just a couple of things that I would like to point out this morning that, that the prophets got a tiny glimpse into God's plan. And, and here's the first one. It would be a message of good news to people who were in great need. He talked about the poor. He talked about prisoners. He talked about the blind and, and the lame. Okay, uh, All of that figurative that, yes, this message would be a message of good news to people who were in great need. And then the other great truth that comes out of this passage is this. That message is going to be delivered by a person who was guided by and empowered by God's Spirit For he starts out the passage by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. Wow. So there you have it. But here's the great thing that you want to know. And that is this. That here's a little bit, and here's a piece, and here's a bit, and here's a piece. And the prophets are trying to take these and put them together, and the angels are trying to take these and put them together. But can anyone put them together and know God's plan? Not up front. They all try. And they are going, it's a good plan. It's a great plan. Every time you look at the plan, it's got good news in it. It's obviously a message of salvation. And it's going to be for all people. And it's great stuff. But how is God going to do that? And no one could actually piece together God's plan. You know why? Because the plans that God comes up with are so far beyond the imagination of people or even angels, that we just don't get it until God finally just spells it out. I think you'll see that. Take a look at the next phrase from our focus scripture. The sufferings that Christ would have to endure. Can I stop you right there? The sufferings that, the, that Christ would have to endure. Now, the problem is you and I live on this side of the sufferings, so we're well aware of the cross and all that it, it means to, to the world. But to the prophets and the angels, they didn't even know that a cross existed. They had no idea what that was about. And you know something? When I got to thinking about this, everyone can get behind a victorious Savior. Isn't that true? What do you think about this? What's the phrase we use in sports all the time? Everybody loves a what? A winner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if Jesus is going to come and ride on his big white horse and everybody's going to get in behind him and he's going to slay all the bad guys and all the good guys are going to live happily ever after, everybody get on board with that. That's just exactly how we would write the story. But you know the message that God delivers? That the Savior who's going to come is going to suffer. Hmm. What good's that going to do? 
<laughs> I mean, who's going to jump on board behind a suffering Savior? Where's the inspiration in that? And you know, the prophets looked at that and it made no sense to them. And when Jesus was talking to his 12 apostles and saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over uh, to, to, to people who don't follow me, they are going to persecute me and they're going to take my life, they looked at him and went, man, you are nuts. That can't be part of God's plan. You didn't make any sense to anybody. Now I want to take you to a passage in the Old Testament, one of those prophecies where God gives a big, long description of this Jesus who would come. And I want to read it to you. So let's go take a look at Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah writes, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in a dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now I want you to look up at the screen. And throughout this passage, there are little punctuation things called an ellipse, an ellipsis. An ellipsis is those three periods, okay? I want you to circle every time in your notes you see one of those three periods, all right? So we just saw the first one. Now, going on to the next screen, take a look. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. The whole thing, if you look at this whole thing, does that sound like a Savior to you? No. No. We look at all that stuff and we think, my goodness, how could that be a Savior? Now, jump in before Christ. The angels are looking at that going, I don't get it. The prophets are looking at that, I don't get it. Where's the victory in this? Where's the victory in a suffering Savior? But the second part here, what's on the screen, is all the stuff. Those ellipses, those are all pieces of the passage that I deleted. Not because I don't want you to know them. I want you to know them. But I want you to see the suffering that Christ would go through. And and why? Well, that is the central message of the Bible. And here it is. Even though he had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, he was buried like a criminal. But it was the Lord's... What's the next two words? It was the Lord's what? Oh, good plan. God had a plan in the suffering to crush him and cause him grief. Why? Because it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sins that weighed him down. He was pierced. Why? For our rebellion. Crushed. Why? 
for our sins. He was beaten. Why? So we could be made whole. He was whipped. Why? So we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord did what? He laid on Him the sins of us all. He was struck down for the rebellion of God's people. Wow. On this side of it, we look back and we understand that the huge message of Scripture is wrapped up in two words that I I talked to you about several weeks ago. I want to remind you of them, and you can write them down in your notes. Substitutionary atonement. I know they're both long and maybe hard to spell, but I want you to get it. Substitutionary atonement. That was God's choice. No one would ever have guessed that God would say, I will suffer and I will take the penalty for the sins of my people. I will leave heaven, I will go to earth and become a human being. And on top of that, I will suffer and die as a human being to pay for the penalty of the sin of every human being. Now friends, those of you who study history and those of you who have studied philosophy, those of you who have studied ancient religion and those sorts of things, I want you to understand that for centuries and millennia, the best and the brightest people in the world tried to guess and figure out what God was like. And can I tell you the best that we could come up with, the collective intelligence of all of mankind, and you can see it in virtually every ancient culture and in many today, the best we could come up with was one of two things. Polytheism, which is really gods who are like humans on steroids, and that's all, who are power-hungry and evil and you have to keep them happy, or, or they rain down, you know, hail, fire, and brimstone on your parade. Or we came up with this idea that God is a nameless, formless, shapeless force that somehow you have to get in alignment with or your life goes bad. And it's the best we could come up with. But God said, no, let me reveal myself to you. Let me reveal my plan to you. You're made in my image. You were created to be my children. And even though you sin and you've destroyed the world that I created for you, I have taken upon you, your, upon me, your sin. That's the message of Scripture. So let's go to number four. And the glory that would follow. Isaiah writes, as he closes this passage, when his life was made an offering for sin, he what? He will have many descendants. Earlier in that passage, he said, we looked at it, we didn't even care that he died without descendants. And yet what happened? No, after he's raised, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Who's that? That's you and me. We are the sons and daughters of God. He will enjoy a long life. Long as in how long? Eternal life, that's right. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in His hand. Do you realize that on the face of planet Earth right now, a little over 2 billion people claim to be followers of Christ? I know in Sonoma County, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? But in the world, a little over 2 billion. Do we all, do they all follow Him perfectly? No. But they claim to be followers of Christ. 
when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be what? Satisfied. Because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be what? Counted righteous. Wow. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, a suffering Savior first, a glorious Savior second. Because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels, he bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Wow. There you have it. That is the message of Scripture. And as we close, I want to say a couple of things, okay? Sometimes, you ever watch the show? I, I don't even know the name of it, but it's where people bring the stuff out of their attics and so forth. Antique Roadshow, thank you, right? And they bring them, and some of them are just junk, right? But every once in a while, someone has been sitting on something that's worth thousands and thousands of dollars. It was just junk in their attic. They had no clue. Okay? Can I tell you, right? Can I tell you that the salvation of God that He places in your hands, sometimes we treat it like junk in the attic. We don't really get it. We don't really appreciate it. As we close, I just I want to give you two simple messages, and they both only have two words in them, but they are the entire message of the Bible, and here they are. The first is God saves. Is that good news? Yeah, it's great news. God saves. In fact, the Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Friends, if that sounds too good to be true, guess what? It's from God and it is true. Now, but here's the second message of the Bible. I want you to hear it very clearly. And that is God also warns. Not because He hates you, by the way, did anybody get any warnings about the H1N1? Any of you get warnings about washing your hands and, and coughing and, and all that kind of stuff? It, it was everywhere on TV. You got kids in school, you got warnings about H1N1, right? Is that because all those people hated you and just want to take the joy out of your life? What do you think? No, somehow we get this deal that if God ever warns us, He's mean and nasty. That's not true. What kind of God would he be if he didn't warn? So God does warn. And here's what he says. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first communicated through the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him. This morning, for those of us who made that decision to accept Christ years ago, Worship team is going to sing a song, and, I, and we're not going to put the words up here because we really don't want you to sing it, and you won't have any trouble understanding the words. But I want us to relish in the wonderful blessing that we've been given. It was something that angels tried to look into and couldn't put it together. It was something that the prophets looked into and they couldn't put it together. But friend, it's something God has given to you and me and He's given, to it, he's given it to us free and it cost Him the world. Wow. We are blessed. I want us to take some time and just thank God. For those of us who've never made the decision to accept Christ. I want to encourage you, every one of you, 
Boy, if there's an offer you don't want to pass up, it's this one. That God gave His life so that you could live forever. And it's, it's a choice that no one can make for you. And I know many of you are considering it, have been considering it. I pray that this morning you make that choice. Would you join me in a simple prayer, Lord? Thank you for the amazing news that you save. And God, thank you for a love that you share for us that not only reaches out to provide salvation, but that you would come up with a plan that no one could have guessed ahead of time, even though you gave glimpses of it. It was so far beyond what we could ever have come up with. Thank you, Father, for it. We bless you for it today. And Lord, thank you that eternity can be ours. Would you help those of us this morning who haven't made that choice yet, or those who have wandered away from that choice, would you help us this morning to step over that line and make that choice today? I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.